Welcome to Season 3. The You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast is an authentic space to talk about life in truth and love. This podcast has evolved, which is no surprise to me, because when you live authentically, you experience a lot of change. Thankfully, it's always a positive change, because when you ditch the coulds and shoulds and let God lead, the outcome is always beautiful. This podcast started as a resource for recovering perfectionists, but has expanded into a place for all to come and be themselves, share their struggles and their victories, giving God the glory along the way. Our world today suffers from an excessive amount of pressure on all sides that leave an individual feeling overwhelmed, burnt out, and eventually hopeless. My guests and myself have experienced all of these feelings at one time or another, which is why these stories and encouragements will inspire and uplift you. Hi friends, welcome to season three of the You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast. Season three has something extra special just for you. Along with the interviews you love from my authentic guests, you will have the opportunity to listen to the new free audio version of my newest book, The Relevant Old Testament, Illuminating Lessons from Imperfect People. I was inspired to create this audio version for those who want to listen during their commute or while doing the dishes. It is still recommended to sit down when you get a chance and go through this Bible study book as it involves a lot of one-on-one writing time with God. But I believe you will find this audio version helpful as you get started. Each chapter will be recorded as its own episode. Please feel free to share the listening links with your friends. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. The Relevant Old Testament, Illuminating Lessons from Imperfect People. Chapter 9, Joseph. Joseph has become one of my favorite characters of the Bible, and not until fairly recently. Hopefully, you've been able to feel my excitement for God's Word throughout this book so far. The story of Joseph convinces me that the plans of God are indeed good and inspire me to stand firm in the Lord. No doubt, no fear, no complaining, just trust. Have you ever experienced jealousy on either side? Have you ever felt mistreated and misunderstood? Then I know you'll relate to this fantastic story as well. Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob, Israel's 12 sons. Knowing the backstory of how Jacob acquired his sons, it makes sense why Joseph would be his favorite. He was born of Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, and he didn't kill his mother in childbirth like Benjamin. After all this time, though, I still wouldn't say that I like Jacob has favorites at all, but it fits in the story's context, and Jacob was the favorite of his mother, Rebecca. I believe that it's on purpose that we see this family trait continue down through the line. Do you remember the other characteristics of this family? Trickery. Keep that in mind as we continue through chapter 37 of Genesis. Favoritism and Jealousy We jump to 17-year-old Joseph, who has just had a dream and shared it with his father and jealous brothers. Not even his father seemed pleased to hear this dream. 
They were all bothered by the idea that Joseph would be ruling over them. Who does he think he is anyway? To them, he is almost the youngest of the brothers, and they don't see anything special about him. Read and record. Read Genesis 37 verses 1 through 17. So now I'm going to read that for you. Joseph's dream. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all the brothers, and so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had, for behold, we are binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed low to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he still had another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come and bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to them, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I am looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They have moved from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And that ends this passage. Who do you relate to most in this story, Joseph or his brothers? Joseph was about 17 when he brought back a report to his family. What do we find out about Joseph in verses 3 to 4? What did Israel make for his favorite son, Joseph? What made Joseph's brothers hate him even more? Did anyone believe Joseph's dream was true? What did Israel send Joseph to do? Did he obey?
Read verses 18 to 24. What was the first plan? And how did Reuben edit this plan? So now I will read for you verses 18 to 24. The plot against Joseph. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Now then, come and let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So he came about, when Joseph reached his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. The question was, what was the first plan and how did Reuben edit this plan? How did Judah edit this plan? And we'll read that in verses 25 to 28. Then they sat down to a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Let's relate. How are you feeling about his brothers right now? Do you think the premeditated murder they planned is justified? Think for a second how you would feel if your brothers or sisters had spared your life only to sell you into slavery. Would you feel gratitude? I sure wouldn't. My entire life, I never felt connected to the story of Joseph. It always bothered me that he was mistreated, that his brothers were jerks, and that his father's blatant favoritism did more harm than good. All of these things are still true, but now I'm blessed by the story of Joseph. I think if there's anyone in the Bible I would wish to be, it would be him. Granted, I wouldn't want to go through what he did, but I sure would love to respond the way he did amid all his trials. In verse 18, we see that Joseph's brothers were actually going to kill him. There is no evidence that Joseph was ever a jerk to his brothers. He wanted to be part of the fold from my perspective. But when Joseph shared his dream with them, it was like their final straw. They were sick of daddy's favorite. Reuben seemed to have had conviction about killing. Reuben seems to have had a conviction about killing his own flesh and blood, but not enough to put it to a full stop. Perhaps he didn't think it would go well and that his brothers would kill him too. Reuben convinces his brothers to leave Joseph in a pit without killing him. He planned to go back and rescue his brother later. 
It seems as though after convincing his brothers to spare Joseph, Reuben left because he appeared shocked to find that his brother was missing. It's a bit odd that he would leave. If he's so concerned for his brother's well-being, why would he leave? Whatever his reason, it is clear that he is very grieved at the news that Joseph is gone. Thoughtful pause. You might have some questions on your own at this point. For instance, why did God allow Joseph to be sold into slavery if he was supposed to rule over his family? Joseph's dream was from God, so why didn't God stop the mistreatment that was happening to Joseph? Have there been any elements in this story that you can relate to so far? Are you a favorite child of your parent? Has anyone displayed jealousy towards you? Have you played favorites? Have you been jealous? Take time to think about those questions before we move on. Judah's Lineage Chapter 38 is all about Judah, the brother who convinced everyone to sell Joseph for profit instead of abandon or kill him. You know, that guy. Judah's story is of a soap opera status. I don't watch them for the record, but I know it would make a good one. Get comfy and read all of chapter 38, verses 1 through 30. In the last chapter, I had asked, why didn't God intervene on Joseph's behalf? In this chapter, it seems that God intervened plenty. So now I will read for you Genesis chapter 38. Judah and Tamar. And it came about at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adamite whose name was Hirah. Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son and named him Ur. Then she conceived again and bore a son and named him Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah. And it was Shazib that she bore him. Now Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord took his life. Then Judah said to Onan, Go in to your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so he went in to his brother's wife. He wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, I am afraid that he too may die like his brothers. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Now after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah. He and his friend Hira the Adamite. It was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garment and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself 
and sat in the gateway of Inaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah had grown up, and she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, Here now, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? He said, Therefore, I will send you a young goat from the flock. She said, Moreover, Will you give a pledge until you send it? He said, What pledge shall I send you? And she said, Your seal and cord, and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and departed and removed her veil and put on her widow's garments. When Judah sent the young goat by his friend, the Adolmite, to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. He asked the men of her place, saying, Where is the temple prostitute who was by the road of Enaim? But they said, There has been no temple prostitute here. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the place said, There has been no temple prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her keep them, otherwise we will become a laughingstock. After all, I sent this young goat, but you did not find her. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, Your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with child by harlotry. Then Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. It was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, Please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, inasmuch I did not give her to my son Shalah, and he did not have relations with her again. It came about in the time she was giving birth that, behold, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place while she was giving birth, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on its hand, saying, This one came out first. But it came about, as he drew back his hand, that, behold, his brother came out. Then she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. So his name was Perez. Afterward, his brother came out, who had a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. And that is the end of chapter 38. Read and record. What did God do twice to Judah? Why did God do this? How did Judah respond to these tragic events with his third son? How did that work out for him? What lesson did Judah learn, and what did he admit that might sound shocking in verse 26? In the line of Isaac, we have another set of twins in verses 27 to 30, Perez and Zerah. We don't hear about them again until the book of Numbers, but it's nice to take note. Let's relate. Interestingly, the author of Genesis put this story in here, as it seems out of flow with Joseph's story. 
but I'm sure you'll agree it's a story of God's intervention. I can't help but think that God did this as a form of punishment to Judah for his betrayal of Joseph. Do you think Judah lost his sons as a form of punishment from God, or was this something else? Have you ever experienced something painful like this that feels like punishment? Like James tells us, all things come from God are good, even correction. James 1.17 I have learned this lesson many times. God is good, and all that he does is good. So even when things feel bad, our good God is on the throne. It is an excellent reminder to me that God's timing is not my timing, but in the end, it all works out the way it's supposed to, in God's perfect and pleasing will. I'm confident that you will see this at the end of Joseph's story. It's an end that brings tears to my eyes and warmth to my heart. Thoughtful pause. Do you believe that Judah's story was placed here to show us God intervening because of his poor treatment of his brother Joseph? Why or why not? The power of written word. Let's press on to some good stuff. Read Genesis 39. How do you feel when you read this? Are you happy for Joseph? So now I will read for you chapter 39. Joseph's success in Egypt. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in his charge. It came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. 
When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave, whom you brought to us, came in to me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did the Lord made to prosper and that's the end of chapter 39 read and record who bought Joseph write down verses 2 to 3 what did Joseph have that Potiphar noticed What went well for Joseph because of God's presence over him? Here comes trouble. What happens in verses 7 through 9? Would you agree that Joseph is behaving honorably? How does Potiphar's wife react to Joseph's consistent refusal? How does Potiphar's wife react to Joseph's consistent refusal? As a result of her accusations, what happened to Joseph? Let's relate. A couple of chapters ago, I felt awful for Joseph, but I wish I were Joseph in this chapter, besides being falsely accused of adultery. Do we not all want God's favor in this way? He was successful. Everything he had his hand in was prosperous. He was admired, and the Lord blessed everything he owned in the house and in the field. Joseph had the trust of Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh. Sounds pretty nice to me. If I'm honest, I often wonder if I've done something to lose God's favor in times of lack. That's why verses 2 to 3 are so important. Joseph didn't earn God's favor, but God gave it to him because he wanted to. When things are going well, I have a habit of looking around and trying to pinpoint what I did so right so that I can keep doing it again. But this story and scripture reminds me of the truth. None of it is up to me. I'm at the mercy of my father's hand. Anything good that he gives me is not because I earned it. It's a difficult concept to grab onto, but I'm learning. Do you have that habit? Or maybe you were trying to avoid things that seem to bring you down? 
As you go through this story, do your best to notice how it helps you to remember that God's favor is not earned. Now talk about withstanding temptation. Wow, a beautiful woman is throwing herself at Joseph very persistently, and still he refuses. In my book, he deserves to be rewarded for such self-control. I'm biting my nails over here, hoping that God will rescue Joseph out of this mess. Joseph's response in verses 8 through 9 is not just appropriate and proper. It is evident to me that he has a relationship with God, an authentic understanding of who he is. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me, and I raised up my voice and screamed. He left his garment beside me and fled out. Verse 17 through 18. She called him a Hebrew slave to strip him of his esteem and favor. She used guilt to make her husband feel responsible by saying, Whom you brought to us. These were not slip of the tongue. These were not a slip of the tongue. She was cunning and methodical, and unfortunately, her words worked. Joseph was put in prison for a crime he didn't commit. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Verse 21. Yes, I had you stop and read it that way to savor the bad and the good. When reading the Bible, it's easy to skip over things that would be a very big deal to us. But it's no big deal because it happened to someone in the Bible. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. Your brothers sold you off to slavery. That event alone is probably more than most of us here have ever experienced. But then God comes through and lifts you to power. These are not events to be ignored. This is miraculous. Imagine being a secretary at a big firm, and then boom, the next day you are a CEO. To my knowledge, that doesn't happen. Next, there's a scandal, but you are 100% innocent. But the accuser is so convincing that you not only have repercussions with the spouse, you were thrown in prison based on their lies. I'm guessing you would be upset. If God had raised me to power but then allowed me to be thrown in prison based on false accusations, I would be perplexed and upset. I would be asking God questions like, why, if I have your favor, am I sitting in prison for a crime I didn't commit? How is this your goodwill, Lord? Have I done something wrong to warrant such horrible circumstances? What about you? What events have happened in your life that have left you perplexed and upset with God? Take some time to jot them down. Let's take a moment here to focus on the good. Replace the name Joseph in verse 21 and put down your name instead. For example, but the Lord was with Vanessa and extended kindness to her. Please write it down for yourself. 
The word but is powerful because it negates or weakens the phrase in front of it. Often we remember that God is with us, but whatever our issue seems more important than the fact that God is with us. So to use the but power in our favor, we reverse our statement. For example, this pressing issue seems more important than God and his presence, but I will remember that God is with me and will never leave or forsake me. He will always see me through. The words you write or speak to yourself should end with the truth, not the worry for your benefit. Read the last two verses in chapter 39, verses 22 and 23. In what ways are they similar to verses 2 through 3? Chapter 39 encourages me that our lives reflect good and bad side by side. We will go through ugly periods and some that are very beautiful, but through it all, God is there, providing us with the strength we need to persevere to the end of our story. Thoughtful Pause It's easier to think of the bad times in our lives for some reason. But take time now to recall and appreciate at least five times when you've experienced God's favor in your life. Dreams. It'd be so lovely to have Joseph interpret my dreams. I consider myself reasonably intuitive when it comes to finding meaning in pretty much anything. And I believe I've cracked some of my own dreams before. But as a whole, I'm clueless as to why I still dream the way I do. Bad dreams have plagued me my entire life. I used to spend time trying to figure them out. But now I wake up and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. If the Lord wants me to understand my dreams, I will. God has given Joseph the gift of interpretation. One of the things I love about Joseph is that he points anything noteworthy that he does back to God. Read chapter 40 and notice Joseph's humility. So now I'll read for you chapter 40 of Genesis. Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with these two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, Behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in the master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then he said to them, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and it was budding. 
its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only keep me in mind when it goes well with you, and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, and behold, were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. Then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, and you will hang on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And that's the end of chapter 40. Read and record. Who was Pharaoh angry with? What does Joseph say to the cupbearer and the baker when they say that no one can interpret their dreams? As you read verses 9 through 19, what difference do you see between the chief cupbearer's dream and the chief baker's dream? Were Joseph's interpretations of the two dreams accurate? In verse 14, Joseph asked the cupbearer to remember him when things go well with him and the Pharaoh. Did the cupbearer remember Joseph? We could count this as another downside. We could pose this as another question to God. Why didn't you prompt the cupbearer to speak well of Joseph? But hopefully you are learning, as I have, that just because it doesn't go the way we hope doesn't mean it won't go the way God intended. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Genesis 48 Joseph didn't esteem himself. He wanted to help these men interpret their dreams because they were upset. He knew God could interpret them, and he knew he was the vessel. Before moving on to Pharaoh's dream, I want to highlight something else about Joseph. He doesn't complain. The only thing that even comes close to a complaint would be verse 15. But from the context and the behavior we've seen from Joseph so far, I don't count that as a complaint. Joseph is only stating a fact. Choosing not to complain is an admirable quality, and it serves Joseph well. 
He never seems to get wrapped up in the misery of his circumstances. He seems to cling only to the confidence he has in the Lord. In my lifetime, I confess that I have been a complainer. If we are honest, I think we all complain more than we realize. It's not something I currently practice, but it's a habit that resides deep inside me. Complaining steals our joy and weakens our faith. To complain is to highlight what is going wrong instead of focusing on all that has gone right. Just imagine how different the story of Joseph might look if he were complaining through it. Pharaoh has two disturbing dreams in chapter 41, verses 1 through 13. And we will go through chapter 41 in the next episode. I hope you'll join me. Hi, friends. I'm so glad you've been enjoying the You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast and wanted you to know that if you'd like to support and help share its uplifting message, you can leave a positive review on Apple or Spotify. To donate 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99 a month, simply click the anchor link in the notes of this show. Once you're on the anchor homepage of the You Don't Have to Be Perfect podcast, click the middle button that says support and select your amount and enter your info. It's quick and easy and will make a great impact on the lives of my family. Thanks for being with me today. Let's keep practicing saying no to perfect and yes to truth. Take care.